um, and just kind of admit to ourselves that there are problems and tensions that we know that we can't resolve and we feel completely out of control sometimes. How many of you have ever looked in the mirror and wanted to change something? It's okay to raise your hand. Like, yeah, right, about your physical appearance. We just, you know, how many of you ever compared yourself to someone else when you scroll through Facebook or you just see them? Yeah, everybody. How many of you had a hard time cheering on somebody because you were just a little bit envious of what they, I mean, all of us, right? Like, uh, you know, for me, it's always that, that picture that the wife posts of this wonderful husband, right, with the, like the kids and the, you know, Susie Homemaker, it's all happy, their kids are perfect, you know, they learn to ride a bike at two and karate lessons, and my daughter, I, I promise you, her husband one day is going to have to teach her how to ride a bike, because I give up, <laughs> but don't tell her I said that. Uh, but here's the thing. So today we're talking about discontentment. You know, we've talked about addiction. We, we've talked about what it looks like to drift from God. And, and today, this is kind of, for me, one of those things where it's easy to say, yeah, and just kind of glaze over it and not talk about it. Because addictions, uh, drifting from God, all of these things, we see them as they're very, very big deals, right? Discontentment, I'm a little discontent. It's okay, right? But everybody in their room raised their hand when I ask those questions, because we all know what it's like to be discontent. So, kind of starting with that, you know, and, and moving past, <laughs> moving past uh, the, the Facebook stuff, we're going to come back to that later, because, uh, but I, I just want to say one thing that shocked me, and maybe you know this, and, and, but it was news to me, that the rates of depression that are reported are almost, go up, they double when the amount of screen time increases by just like 20-something percent. Like, it's crazy to me to think that we submit ourselves to this idea that, that we're going to look at everybody else's highlight reels and fall into this comparison trap. And so maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here and you're like, you're not even sure why you're here, you're disconnected, whatever it is, but you feel like, I'm just, this is the way it is. Okay, well, this is for you today, because maybe it's relationally, maybe you find yourself in a marriage, and it's not great, it's not bad, but you don't know how to make it better, and you're not even sure your spouse wants to. Neither of you want to change. You look into the future, and you're just not sure what it's going to look like, and you just have accepted that. That's just the way it is. You know, for some of you, maybe it's financial, where you say, you know, we're just this, we're going to always be in debt, we're always going to struggle. This is always going to be something that we have in our life, and there's nothing I can do about it. You know, your financial dreams aren't coming true, right? You're one lottery ticket away from being set, right? Like that's, we think this way sometimes. There's just nothing you can do professionally. And this, this, this is one that I hear all the time when husbands and wives come in to talk or just are struggling. It's, I, I, they, one of them hates their job and they just absolutely hate it. There's no way out. Their boss is miserable. They're stuck. There's nothing they can do. And then lastly, maybe it's physical. Maybe you look in the mirror and you're just like, man, I just wish I could change, you know? It's like, you know, watching an ep episode of The Bachelor is bad enough, but envying the guy's hair, I mean, that's, that's just, that's worse, right? <laughs> so, you know, it can be, you guys get the gist. So in the midst of all of these things, they're uncertainty, right? That's, that's what all of the stuff we're talking about boils down to. It's this uncertainty, not just for the future, but even for the present a lot of times. And so what do we do? We're tempted to turn from God, to blame God, to run, quit, give up, give in. And the biggest thing is we become jealous and resentful or angry, okay? And when we do that, everybody else seems to have the best job, the best relationship. 
I want theirs. I don't want mine anymore. I want theirs. And so if everybody kind of agrees that we're in this place where we are agree on this kind of idea of discontentment in our society, then what are we missing? And that's the big thing we're going to ask today. So as usual, in Scripture we find the most unbelievable practical advice that's with a promise. And I love that because it's always practical advice and always with a promise that we have as it pertains to dealing with this uncertainty in our life. And because I believe that that uncertainty is the root cause of our discontentment. Because uncertainty means that we don't know if we can trust the future, right? And so a lot of us say that we, we love God and that we follow God and that we've committed our lives to God. But we have such trepidation about the future that that leads to this uncertainty, even in the way we live now. And that's where you get the, the, the sexual sin, the addiction, the drifting that's just become normal for our society. So what are we missing? Paul was responsible for basically planting even the churches that have led us to where we are today, right? So this guy Saul, persecuted Christians, became Paul. And what's amazing is even he was not free from this. And so that's why I think it's important enough to talk to, to, to about today because I believe that it is one way that you will wreck your life. And it's one of those ways that's like a, a, just a small de- in decline and then all of a sudden it just becomes a slope that you can't climb back up. And 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, I'm reading from the ESV uh, version. Uh, this is what he said, Paul said, so to keep me, and this is, he's, he's got this, this physical problem that he's asked God to remove multiple times, and God said no. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, meaning that all God has revealed to him about who God is. So everything we're going to do today is through the lens of Jesus. So like, keep that in your mind. Surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's not me. (laughs) Like, I don't know where you are, but that's not often my first response when I'm begging for God to take something from me or I'm looking at someone else and I've fallen into this deep hole that's a comparison trap. That's not me. But this is what Paul does. He just goes right on. Even though he's facing what was certainly painful and it was a temporary perspective because he got that. Even though it seemed permanent, he understood that it was temporary, and somehow it did not cause him to abandon his confidence in God, nor did it cause him to dwell on himself. And so there was no conflict for him in uncertainty. Even though he asked for this to be taken away, for him, you know what God said? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So what did he say? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. There was no conflict for him in the uncertainty. So what are we missing then? The right questions I think that we have to ask today, and we'll kind of wrap up with these at the end, but for me it's the who, what, when, where, and why, right? Like these basic questions, and we'll kind of put some legs to that in a minute. But these are the tools we have to gain uh, understanding to our ultimate question, and that ultimate question is what are we missing? So Paul said in the midst of this uncertainty, all the adversity, that there actually is a way to find, or maybe a better way to say, the way Paul said, is to learn contentment. 
Because for me to, to talk about discontentment, I can't know what that really looks like until I actually know what contentment looks like, right? Like, as we have, we just, we don't know. And we're going to jump into that because I think that the, the world says one thing and God says something else. And I think we're kind of stuck in the middle a lot of times. And so for me, I want to talk, uh, you guys know Ken Philbeck. Ken Philbeck's the East Campus pastor. He and I were talking this week and he reminded me of this illustration by John Ortberg, and he talks, it's his Happy Meal analogy, and some of you may have heard it before, um, but for me, it's just a moment of marketing genius by McDonald's, because they named this thing the Happy Meal, right? It's been called the Happy Meal for forever, and so when you're buying it, you're not just buying chicken McNuggets, fries, cheeseburgers, you're buying happiness. That's what it says. It's a Happy Meal, right? In fact, most children are convinced that they have a Happy Meal shaped like hole in their life until they get it. My kids are. I have one that's nine now, and fortunately, she's realized the scam that is the small, tiny thing of fries that comes with it, and, and so she's over it. But my son, my, whew, it, it's, it's bad. They think that they're not going to have, they're, they're not going to, to miss this, right? Like, they, they, they've got to have this thing. They have this vacuum in their, in their life. Their hearts are restless until they get a Happy Meal. And you know what? Like, God love McDonald's, but there are golden arches everywhere, like, if you have kids, it doesn't matter whether they're in a forward-facing seat or a rear-facing seat, and they see the golden archers, it is over for you as a parent, if they're, especially if they're hungry, and sometimes even if they're not. Because I've seen my son dump the fries out and keep the toy before. So, like, whatever, whatever it is, these guys are geniuses. There's golden arches everywhere. We go to McDonald's, we buy the Happy Meal. The truth is, we know it, right? The happy doesn't last forever. The happy wears off. So what happens when we go through the drive-thru? We go, I'll have one with this for a boy. One for this with a girl, right? That's, that's our family. So we go through and we buy the Happy Meal, you know, and what happens? This is the most hilarious thing to me. Ultimate lasting happiness ensues, right? Like the two children crunch on these gorgeous fried potatoes and they're just gazing lovingly at their prize wrapped in plastic that says, don't put this in your mouth or you'll die, right? Like that's what happens. Like, and so, and so as we go through this, and that's not even close to my kids. I don't know about your kids. But before I get the drive-thru, sometimes before I can even pay the money, like, they're, they're complaining about that they want the other one's toy, or they didn't get enough fries, or can I have some of their, there's already complaining that started. The Happy Meal does not live up to the name or the expectations. And so I have never once either had my kids come to me and said, you know, Dad, here's the thing. Remember that happy meal that you got me? I just want you to know what a great joy it brought to my life, Dad. And I knew that if I could get that happy meal with that one more My Little Pony toy with the pink hair, not the blue, Dad, that my life would have meaning. And Dad, you know, your great wisdom, your generosity, you know, because of that, I'm filled with this lasting content. No, come on, really? Like, that's, that's it. you know that. Like, our kids are going to be a sucker for that thing. It's genius marketing. That's what, that's what marketing is all about. It, it, it's for, for going in to say that because I get this one, I'm going to need the next one, and I'm going to want the next one. And it leads us to this place where we're all discontent. You know, you know why Ronald McDonald has the grin on his face? It's because he's got 20 billion Happy Meal addicts out there. Like, just wait. And he's their dealer, right? He's the pusher. Like, so, like, not that I'm getting down on McDonald's. All right, McDonald's is fine. They've taken a lot of my money over the years. Um, but here, here's the thing. Adults like you and me are smarter than that, right? Like, we don't, we don't fall for this scam anymore. Like, you know, we want it supersized, right? 
Like we, we don't fall for scams. Like we would never make that mistake. You know, and if that were the case, you know we wouldn't be talking about this this morning. But the truth is, most people, when it comes to things like that, when it comes to contentment and discontentment and defining these things and actually looking at what they look like in our lives, we don't get smarter as we grow up. Our happy meals just change. They become something else. And so every day we live in a world that, that literally reaches into our, our lives, right? <laughs> like, like right here, it reaches just like that video said, it reaches into our life. And it tells us three things, I think. It tells us that you are discontent with the way things are right now. Just, let's just question, let's just answer, that's it. You're discontent, don't worry about it. Because, and you don't need to worry about it because everyone else is discontent, so it's okay. Like, it's not something that we need to worry about. Oh, and, but if you do want, still want it, even though everyone's already like this, you, you can actually buy it, Right? It says contentment can be bought, won, or earned. And this is what the world teaches us. It teaches us that contentment lies in these external, temporary things, something that we can get. But here's the truth about all of us. We're healthier. We're richer. We have access to information that we never had years and years ago. We, we are, I think, out of all the, the people in history, we have access to stuff. I think about that. Dewey Decimal System and card catalogs. And if you've experienced research papers with those, like, I mean, the world must be right. I don't know. But we live longer, we eat better, dress warmer, work less, play more than any other time in history. But are we happier? Because, see, the worlds would say that, that the happy meal, the happier, the temporary, brings about contentment. Have we become more content? And my guess is that there's a lot of discontented people in the service right now. I'm, I'm often one of them. So a basic way of telling this, like just kind of without having to raise your hand at this moment, is how much complaining we do. And so now I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If in the last six months you've complained about your physical appearance, your education or lack of it, your job, your achievements in life, your finances, how busy you are, your, something about your family, your health, your age, your boss, the weather, and let's face it, it's Savannah. There's always something to complain about with the weather. The church, the length of a sermon, how hard it is to find parking downtown. Any, if you've complained about any of that stuff in the last six months, raise your hand. Right? And you sure are a grumpy group of good-looking people. Like, this, like, the problem with discontentment is that it moves us toward self-destructive decisions, consequences, and ultimately regrets that we have to live with. And so that's why we're talking about this. That's why it can be so dangerous. It almost always only deals with the moment, the happy meal, the right now, the temporary. So we've all, if we all can agree, which by your raising of your hands just now, that we're missing something. Well, let's talk about contentment, the who, what, when, where, and why that I was talking about. So we look to Paul's example, and he tells us that in Christ, and so we're going to move to our, our main text now, but he tells us that in Christ, in the Greek it's in curio, that means in this relationship I have with Jesus, there is a way to find contentment or learn contentment in spite of the fact that I have no control over what's going on around me. And so we have to back up a little bit and get a little bit of context of Paul, right? Paul is converted from Saul, like he used to persecute Christians, but now he's one of them. And not only is he, is he one of them, he's launching into his missionary journey and spreading the, the good news of Jesus, planting churches, instructing churches, helping churches grow all over. And so fast forward about 10 years into him, into him doing this, and he's arrested. Okay, he ends up in Rome, which is bad, under house arrest, which is worse, 
and he's waiting for a trial, which is the real bad news. And as he's waiting for this trial, you have to know that Nero is the emperor at this time. And let me tell you about Nero. Nero, this is not good. Nero would light his lawn on fire with Christians. He would feed them to lions. He would burn them at the stake. And this is who Paul is under house arrest waiting to go before him to decide his fate. Okay, so that's the context. It feels like Nero, the the context of this, it feels like Nero has already won. Paul is lost. Empire of Rome wins. Kingdom of God loses. But here's what Paul said that can happen with a great vision. He's under arrest in Rome and surrounded by the uncertainty, although it probably was certainty. He probably assumed that he was going to be killed at this point. Um, What are the odds that he would say to someone, like, I'm writing this letter (laughs) to to, to the church in Philippi and deliver this? And that we would be talking about it today. You know what I mean? Did, you have to wonder, did he think like that? Or was he just being obedient and being faithful? And I think that, that as he was doing that, it's because he understood what hung in the balance. And that balance was the good news and the believers that would hear him. It's you and me. He knew what hung in the balance. We hung in the balance. The reason he was able to accomplish what he did was because of his adversity and because of his response to it. Because that means that if there's adversity and then we have a response to it, that means somewhere in there is a choice that we make. And so listen to this. You have no idea what or who hangs in the balance of your decision to remain faithful when everything around you in this world says just be faithless, like you can drift. And so we're going to look, jump into this, the scripture now. In one of these letters to the Philippians, written from while he was in prison, Paul gives what I think is the ultimate advice on how to be content in the midst of uncertainty. And so we'll start in verse 410, and again, I'm reading from the ESV. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What he's saying here is you didn't forget about me. It's been a little while since I've heard from you. Yeah, I've had a rough time. But you know what? He doesn't focus on the fact that it's been a while since they supported him. Watch what he does. He jumps right in and is grateful. So they say, finally find out where he's at. They send him a care package, whatever it was. Man, he was, he's like, this is awesome. I am so grateful. Thank you. You have revived your concern for me. So I am grateful you're concerned about me. He begins to talk about how he would define contentment here. So we move into verse 11. It says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And this word is an interesting word in the Greek. It's the only time that, that this word is used for content. I know there's many, many places, 1 Timothy, Galatians, other places where it talks about contentment. But this particular word, which is outer case, it's a Greek word, and it, it's different because it means, that's the best way to say it. So it's, it's inner self-sufficiency, but with one catch, there's a dependency. And so to be content is to be internally self-sufficient, but there's a contingency. To be content in this way means I've learned to be self-sufficient in resisting something, this force, pressure, or temptation brought on by circumstance. So something internal and eternal will dictate my response to my external and temporary circumstance. Let me say that again, because this was the big, this was the aha moment for me. Something internal and eternal will dictate my response to my external and temporary circumstance. In other words, when it comes to the uncertainty, whether it's chaos, struggle, I've learned to deal with it. I've learned to not let it drag me down. I've learned to live in a place that even though things around me are uncertain, I'm not going to stress out about it. 
I'm not striving. I'm not yearning. I'm not running. I've learned to be content. No matter what the circumstances that I have no control over, I found a way to be okay. And okay on the inside, even if the outside's not okay. And he tells us whether you learn it or not, and this is, this is always with scripture where it hits me right in the face, because he doesn't say it exists because I'm going to learn it. He says it exists whether you learn it or not. And I think that that's why so many of us are so lacking in zeal and joy because we are so discontent or caught in comparison traps or, or some of the other things that we do. I want you to know that there is a place of contentment, like that Paul says, that works in all circumstances. In the midst of uncertainty, where there's no way forward, no way out, there's nothing you can do. It's out of your control. There is a way. And so I think that, that there's a couple of things that I want to say here. And I think that first, Paul recognized this, and he said, contentment is the ability to recognize your weakness. So there was, there's, there's a, a bit of self-awareness that comes uh, with this and that is required of us. And again, it's an external pressure <laughs> with a choice ending in, in, in something, right? So let me say that again. Contentment is the ability to recognize your weakness. So what are we missing? And for many of us, I lump myself into this group. I have not yet learned what it means to be fully dependent on God. And maybe we can't. Maybe we can't until we're with him constantly, but that is something that I believe is part of what Paul is trying to tell us here. He goes on to say in Philippians 12, he says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He's saying, I've had more than I needed and I didn't get attached. I've had less and it didn't leave me unhappy. I've learned what it's like to have a lot, to not have enough. You know what? Having a lot didn't steal my contentment. Having less didn't steal my contentment. I've learned the secret of contentment in any and every situation. Okay, so here we go. Let's answer this question. What are we missing? The word he uses for secret is a form of the Greek word mueo. And it means to be initiated into something secret, which is kind of cool. It's not like somebody walking over to you and grabbing your ear and whispering a secret into your ear. This, this actually involves you more than that like to be initiated into something secret. He's saying, I've been initiated, like I have played a part in gaining this knowledge, the secret experience with God. It's available to everyone, but not everyone wants it. Not everyone knows about it. They don't even know they're missing it. In other words, I have learned, I've been initiated into the secret of contentment, whether in plenty or want, whether full or hungry. And this is Paul talking about all the experiences that have led him up to this life. Before he's arrested, you think about it, Think about the life of Paul. If you, you can go back into the Corinthians. He was beat up, stoned, left for dead. What was he, bitten by a snake, nearly died, shipwrecked. He was thrown out of cities, thrown in jail, arrested multiple times. So we're looking at a guy that, like, if this guy has got circumstances, like, against him, this is the guy. He cried out to, to God to remove the thorn in his flesh that we read in the beginning. He lost friends. You know what? I, if that was me right now, I would just be looking for some support. But here's the thing, the secret and the important lessons that the school of adversity teaches, that's what he had ample opportunity to learn. And I think that idea, the school of adversity, is something my dad used to say to me all the time, you know, and what he did was he said he had learned that no, regardless of the circumstance, that he, whether he was low, hungry, in abundance, or in need, that he had learned that there was this secret initiation that God had allowed him to go through this but nothing, nothing about the external 
had changed what was going on for him internally. And so these are the same experiences that we can relate to professionally, physically, financially, maybe because uh, maybe it's sin, because really what discontentment boils down to is disobedience. It's not relying on Christ. And let's jump now. So he lived through all the chaos, the struggle, and certainty. And so if you're like me, I'm just, I can't, I don't think I could be content. It's not my own self-sufficiency, Paul said, though. It's in Christ, through Christ who lives in me. And now let's look at the, one of the most misquoted verses out of context of all time. It's also one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. Philippians 4.13, right? What does it say? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is one of those verses that, like, you know, you see on the cat poster where he's like, just hang in there. Like, you know, at the dentist office or whatever. Like, yeah, this is that. That's way out of context. Like, like there's a, you know, the Nike commercial where the guy's running the marathon. can do all things. Like, no. Do all what, Paul says? Be persecuted, run out of town, stoned, beaten, left for dead. Be alone, be in jail, knowing that Nero is going to probably put me on a pike and burn me in his front yard. What, what can I do? It's not talking about like achieving these things. It's talking about something internally that shifts. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I'm not tempted to disobey because discontentment, Paul knew. He's like, I'm not going to be disobedient that way. I'm not tempted to compromise. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can survive this. I can maintain my commitment, my commitment through everything because Christ provides the strength. Now, I'm, and again, this is not a, one of those prosperity things where you can claim this verse and just say, I got it. Like, the, realize the context of what Paul's saying. Paul is saying this as he is literally being pressed and crushed from every side, physically no way out of where he is at. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Essentially, what he is saying is this. Is I can maintain my internal composure. I can survive this, not because I am strong, but because I have already recognized my weakness. And now there's one other key thing that he says, because he gives me strength, because his contentment is resting in Christ's sufficiency and strength. And that's the other point. Contentment is resting in Christ's sufficiency and strength. Essentially what he is saying is like that secret we talked about that we've been initiated into, that Paul was talking about he had been initiated into. He said, here it is. It's so simple that I've missed it most of my life. Uh, it's, the secret is daily surrender. Because here's what it is. It's to make the choice not to fill up the temporary, but to fill up that which is eternal. Look at, so I want to show you a couple of things. So I have these two cups here. And let's let this one, I don't know if you can see it, but it, it's not faring too well. It's got a lot of holes in it. We're going to let this one represent um, the temporary. This is going to be kind of what the world says it, contentment looks like. And then this one, this nice with no holes in it, we're going to let this represent the eternal, right? Like, this is not rocket science either. But for the sake of the illustration, you know, this represents the abundance that God wants to pour into our lives. But the problem is, is we tend to make a choice and we tend to focus on that which is temporary. And the problem with that is I could, could keep pouring. He could keep pouring his abundance into this. And you know what? I can cover the holes for a little while or I could put some tape over it, but it's still going to leak. That's what it does, right? Like I'm never going to be satisfied with that amount of water that's going to happen there. Or we could allow him to pour his abundance into this, which represents us focusing on the things of God, 
resting in his sufficiency and his strength. And look what happens to this cup. And I can fill it till it overflows. Do you know what? I can drink from this and I will be satisfied. Now, our cup is not always going to be full. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying in this process, by choosing to allow God to pour his abundance into this and to make this the focus of my life, I can be satisfied because this is eternal. This is temporary. Right? So for me, choosing that, that's what surrender is. Right? It's saying, no, you know what, God? Like, I can't change this. So why am I going to try? I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to let you pour in. I'm going to focus on what you'd have me to focus on. Surrender. It's hard, right? Like, it's much easier for us to sit here all day and try to plug these holes in this one. Because we might could get a drink every once in a while, but I can tell you you'll get tired. And you know what? Ultimately, it still leaks. Surrender is hard. It's daily, not my will, not the temporary not my circumstance, but God's will moving me on to that which is eternal. And the reason I know that Jesus holds the answer to our question, what is missing, is because he dragged his very own cross up to the hill, meaning like he had an opportunity to to say, you know what, I can't do this. But his love for me was so great that he didn't choose the temporary. He chose to love me for all eternity, to lay down his life, fully experiencing the, the pain the circumstance of trying to plug these holes, fully experiencing the weight of never being able to get satisfied with this while he was in the flesh. But he chose to surrender to God's will. And if he can do that on purpose, hear me on this, if he can do that on purpose, and we just read from what Paul said that contentment was, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, then what I'm facing, I know that I can do. It's not anything compared to what Jesus has done for me. Paul says, I recognize my weakness, but I rest in his strength. Right? I recognize my weakness. I mean, that's obvious that you wouldn't want to drink out of this. I rest in his strength. So I'm going to admit up front that I can't handle this. I surrender. When you're depressed and living in despair, the world just isn't working out. You don't think there's any way that you can keep going. You know what? Surrender. I recognize my weakness. I rest in his strength. You're single. You're sick, tired of being single. You've tried being unsingle. Just made your life worse, more complicated. You're wondering where God is all this. And you just, you know what? You're tired. You've been plugging holes just trying to get refreshed in that cup. Surrender. Say, I recognize my weakness, but I rest in his strength. You know what? You're in a marriage. You've been tempted to find something better. Because you've been flipping through your phone and the world says there's always something better, right? There's always something better. You drive home, you know you're going to find three different versions of your wife and you're wondering which one you're going to find that day or three different versions of your wife. You're just wondering what you're going to find when you get home. It just isn't working out. It's not meeting your needs. You're getting ready to abandon everything that you know is right. Surrender. Say, I recognize my weakness. I rest in his strength. Your career is spiraling out of control. Maybe you've made some decision that can't be undone, and now there are consequences. You're going to be out of a job. Your boss is horrible. And so you say, but if I just do this one little unethical thing that nobody will see, like I can keep my job and maybe try to hold on for a little bit longer. You know what? Plug the holes. You're plugging holes. Surrender. I recognize my weakness, God, but I rest in your strength. Listen to me. This is surrender. 
This is what it's about. There is, that is the secret we have been initiated into because surrender requires something of us. It's not like just telling a secret and letting it go. It requires something of us. And so, you know what? You don't know how much longer you can take it. Just say, surrender. I recognize my weakness. I rest in his strength. So what are we missing? We're dependent both on our willingness, first to be self-aware, and the sufficiency of Christ alone. And the the problem with it is that it does start with surrender. The problem is that initiation, some of us are just, we either failed to undergo or we're holding on because we figure we could do this longer and we can just hold on here and we don't have to surrender. But for whatever reason, it starts with surrender. And this is the other big thing. Hear me when I say this. It is learned, not earned. I don't care what the world says. You will never earn contentment or satisfaction but you can learn it because we can find our strength in Christ. So this self-awareness moves us in through. We got the secret, right? We're talking about the sufficiency of Christ. And this is what being a follower of Christ is. It's completely surrendering to Jesus so that he can live through you. And that's the part. It starts with the surrender, period. There is no other secret. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He, Jesus, not only the author and maintainer of the the writer's spiritual life, but he says, you know what? He's the life itself. He is life. This is worthless. This is worth, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live. He surrendered to Jesus. So we have a clear picture, right? All these vital principles that we're talking about, we see in these three kind of passages that we've looked at this morning, but this clear picture for me is when you come to a point in your life where you understand that you're a sinner separated from God. And that there's nothing we can do about it. Because to me, that's the ultimate. Like when you realize that, when you recognize, when you become self-aware of this, like what happens is then you can surrender to it. And when you can surrender to that, that's where life starts. And life really doesn't start until then. So So God, because of his great love, did something about it for us. He sent Jesus into the world to die. And because he was punished for our sin, then we have a choice. Like I said, this is about choice and it's about surrender. The choice is, will I surrender my life to Jesus? Not just come down and say a prayer. It's not about words. It's about daily saying, you know what? I recognize my weakness and I rest in your strength. I surrender today because tomorrow is going to bring a new set of circumstances. Maybe it's the same. Maybe you don't even know how to define them yet, but they're there Will I surrender my life to Christ? Will I let Christ have complete control? Will I die to myself so that Christ can live in me? And this is where, so like anytime I have an illustration because I have young kids, I try to make it, I'm, I'm not smart. So I, I just try to be simple, right? And so he, let's, just for the sake of, I like the way it sounds when the water falls in the bucket. Um, we're pouring this into our temporary and not surrender, but I want you to see what happens, right? That's leaking, Let's see what happens when we surrender to Christ. I mean, right? But when we surrender to Christ every day, now we have the ability 
to not leak. But it required something of us. It required the surrender, right? It required us choosing that which is eternal over that which is temporary. So just a simple question, and then we're going to get into those five little things that that are little tricks that I play on my own brain to try and help me with this during the week. But but here's the thing. Do you want to overflow? Do you want to constantly be plugging the holes in your, your temporary cup? Or do you want to focus on that what's eternal and allow yourself to surrender, to put that cup into what Jesus has done? Jesus has already gone through this for you. Why would you consider living like this? When he says, you can surrender to me and be filled. John 10.10 says that I've come to have life, an abundant life. I don't know about you, but the, the, the context of that verse is not just future tense. It's right now in the midst of the circumstance. Right? Last thing, the who, what, where, where stuff we were talking about. Like, for me, I need practical I need something that when I get in the midst of these situations, I have some things, just little milestones or guardrails, if you will, that remind me to check myself. Because we said it started with what? It started with the self-awareness, and then it moves into a place of surrender, and it depends fully on the secret, which is the sufficiency in Christ, right? But all of that's kind of wrapped together because that's what it requires. So the who, what, when, and where. For me, I just ask my, you may want to jot these down. You don't have to is the who, is who is my heart focused on today? And it's a question that I ask my kids, and it's a question that we end our day with. Who did I focus on more today? Was I focused on more on myself and my needs and my wants and my fears, or was I focused on the living God that gave his life for me? Then what do my thoughts that I'm constantly plagued with tell me about my mind? Because we're, we're bombarded, like I said, the Happy Meal thing all day long, temptations. Every time you pull out your phone, you've got an opportunity to compare yourself to someone else and be trapped and be depressed and be anxious. So what did the thoughts that I'm plagued with during the day tell me about my mind? And the when, this one's really important because this is the daily. Am I putting off the eternal saying that I can do it tomorrow so that I can do what I want today? Because that's not surrender. And I have to remind myself the when. Am I doing it right now? Every day. The, the where is where my eyes leading me. Because for me, I'm looking, if I'm looking somewhere that I should not look, like I'm going to move down a path that is going to end in destruction and devastation, and I'm going to wreck my life. That's why we're talking about this stuff. Where are my eyes leading me? And the last one, why aren't my hands moving to help others? And for me, this is a big one when I know that I'm in the deep end and, and, and I'm not going to be able to get my way out. Because when my hands are only focused on what I have and keeping what I have and not helping others, there's a pretty good uh, sign for me to know that I am discontent with my life and that I'm comparing myself and I'm desiring somebody else's life. You know what I mean? I'm trading what God has for me for someone else's highlight reel. That's what I'm doing. And then the last thing is how am I trying to accomplish this? Did I allow space for God to move and his Holy Spirit to move me to things today. How am I trying to accomplish this? Or did I just run ahead and try and do everything in my own power, in my own sufficiency, without that secret part, which is the dependency on the sufficiency and strength of Jesus? You see that cup, like that was made to fit, right? Like we, we were made to fit. 
but it requires surrender. And let's be honest, if Paul had to learn this, we're going to have to learn this too. It's not going to come naturally, and it's not going to come easy or cheap or quick. But it's also not something that we can earn. It's something that we have to learn by allowing ourselves to surrender. So my challenge for you today is the happy meal, the happiness, the things the world says, is it worth fighting to keep water in that cup? Or, is, or will you surrender today and just say, Jesus, I've, I've known you for a long time, but I've never fully surrendered my life to say it's yours now. Steer me where you will. So study God's word instead of studying people's highlights wheel. Serve others for their good when you can receive nothing in return. If we can do those types of things, we're moving to what it looks like to focus on the eternal. But it remains in spite of our circumstances. Contentment is learned, not earned. And joy is not happiness. Okay? And that's part of the secret. It remains in spite of our circumstances. Self-awareness, surrender, ultimately sufficiency in Christ alone because that's the way we were made. So the decision's yours today. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. I'm grateful that we serve a God that's willing to take me like this and allow me to rest in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you changed everything. Jesus, when you lived the life that I can't, when you paid the price that I can't, when you gave your life for me, And you lived out the temporary, but you knew that the eternal was more important. And so, Jesus, help me to do that today. Help me to fill my cup with your abundance, moving me from the temporary to the eternal and resting in you. And Jesus, as we sing, I am grateful that you take us as we are. You didn't say surrender, clean yourself up. We just have to repent and come to you as the God that made us, creates us, maintains us, sustains us. And say, help me. I need to rest in you. I've been trying to do it on my own. I am too weak. Jesus, I am too weak. God, as we sing now, in your name we pray. Amen.